Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, let's start with the good. We've talked about how the American people have clearly woken up to the many, many different problems with the Biden administration and the Democratic agenda in general. I hope it means that uh, uh, a very rough future is in store for the Build Back Better legislation. But we already see Biden's numbers in the tank. We saw the results on election night this year. Uh, Things are looking at the moment very good on the generic ballot for Republicans in 2022. But uh, the numbers just keep looking worse and worse for the Democrats, which means hopefully we can get away from this uh, agenda. Biden also assuring Democrats, Jim, reassuring Democrats he is going to run again in 2024. So I'm not sure how reassuring they think that is. But uh, in the latest Gallup poll, 42% approve of Biden's performance, 55% disapprove. So his numbers continue to uh, head well into the tank. Here's the big thing for today, though. The Cook Report, uh, at best nonpartisan, perhaps leans a little bit to the left. They're saying because of uh, where Biden and the Democrats are right now, things are looking better for the Republicans in the 2022 Senate elections. I was thinking this was actually the tougher hill to climb, just given the seats that are open uh, this this cycle and the ones we also have to defend. But according to Cook, the Senate contests in Arizona, Mark Kelly, Georgia, Raphael Warnock, and uh, Nevada, that's uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, all moved uh, from leaned Democrat to toss-up now. So all still very difficult races, but uh, just the momentum in states like these, particularly Georgia and Arizona, Nevada, I feel has gotten a little bit too far to the left for us to uh, get super excited about, especially this early. But nonetheless, uh, if the Cook Report is uh, suggesting that's where these uh, races are, expect a ton of money into there. And uh, given the fact that Mark Kelly's been quiet as a church mouse while Kirsten Cinema takes all the heat and Ralphie L. Warnock has not run to where the Georgia electorate is as a senator, he's uh, tacked far left, as we probably should have expected. You know, we're looking at some pretty solid pickup opportunities, at least right now. Greg, I think if you're the National Republican Senatorial Committee right now, your biggest worry is that you might be peaking too early, that this is right now the country is really not happy with the Biden administration, really not impressed. Yes, you can find poll numbers saying people like the infrastructure bill, but it's not changing their overall perception of Joe Biden and the Democrats in Congress. You can find individual polling provisions of stuff that's in Build Back Better that does pretty well. But again, that's not going to be the sort of thing that's going to change the way people feel about the direction of the of the country, how the economy is doing, what they think of Biden, what they think of Kamala Harris, uh, and all of that. So I think, um, and the other factor that kind of comes to mind here is that the two biggest problems facing the economy, inflation and the supply chain issue, they're not getting better quickly if they are getting better at all. Uh, I think, you know, you can look at the highest demand of the year is going to be in November and December. Uh, supply chain issues have still been have still not been resolved. There's been a little bit of progress here and there on a few fronts, a couple of companies working around it. Um, but again, this is people are saying it's really going to take well into 2022 to unravel this problem. So you're probably going to have economic headaches. You're going to have high gas prices. You're going to have high food prices pretty well into 2022. Now, a big question is, how do people feel about the economy come November 2022 when they actually are casting their ballots? And if you're a Democrat, I think what you're, you know, you're, you're clinging to, Barack Obama might say bitterly, um, <laughs> to, this, uh, to the possibility that, well, yeah, things are going to stink in early 2022, but maybe around middle of the year, the supply chain issues start getting smoothed out and all of these 
uh, inflationary pressures get mitigated, again, dumping more money into the economy, I don't think is going to help that. But let's just say this isn't you know simply resolved by this. Some of this is energy prices set by Middle East exports and things like that. By the middle of next year, things get better. People feel better about the economy. The anger dissipates. They feel better about Biden and the Democrats. And um, things work better. It's conceivable things could shake out that way. I, I think it is likely that things uh, for the Democrats, they, they, you know, I think, in fact, I think it's likely that things are better for the Democrats on Election Day 2022 than they are now, simply because things are just so darn bad right now. <laughs> There's just, you know, there almost is like, I, I am kind of coming around to this White House philosophy of, well, they've hit bottom and things can't get too much worse. Although I think that is a very unhealthy and unwise approach to politics and life. Things can always get worse. I'm a Jets fan. You can see it in my, you could hear it in my voice. Um, so, but all in all, if you're the Republican, I think the other thing that I would be worried about if I were a Republican is I don't, I don't want complacency to set in. I don't want Dem- Republicans to think they don't have to do anything. I think they need to push their advantages on this stuff. I think they can really uh, use issues like critical race theory and what are we teaching kids and our parents being respected by school boards and our school boards listening to them. Things are very, you know, they get down to the, the bone marrow of people. So there's enormous power in these issues that I hope Democrat, Republicans keep pushing this. And I hope Democrats keep insisting nothing's wrong on these issues. That's when you'll see a really monster uh, midterm election for Republicans. But right now, the signs of Republicans are looking very, very good. Yes, yes. It'd be nice if Election Day 2022 was today. But uh, yeah, don't make any stupid mistakes uh, and highlight the issues that you know will win for you. School choice, the economy. I mean, these are issues. Just look, look at the look at the model Glenn Youngkin said for you. Circumstances could be different a year from now, but follow that pattern in general. Uh, Jim, given the inflation problem, Biden went uh, straight ahead and renominated Jerome Powell uh, to be the Fed chairman today. And uh, on, on one hand, that seems a little crazy. On the other hand, I'm not sure what Jerome Powell can do. Given all the trillions we've added to the debt through all this uh, COVID spending and other things over the past uh, year and a half, if you add, if you increase interest rates, the amount of interest on the debt that we're going to have to force into the budget is really going to be crippling. And then it's just going to make all the other spending push our debt even higher. And it's just going to be this ugly repeating cycle. But if you don't uh, tick up interest rates a little bit, inflation goes unchecked and I don't know. Looks like a mess coming forward. Yeah. I mean, compared to Brainerd, that's the good news, I suppose, for on the Fed chair front. But I think you're right. I think right now the 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 I don't want to say the Fed chair's hands are tied, but the options are very limited in these particular sets of economic circumstances. And uh, I think this was one mild good sign from the administration of not throwing one more curveball at the markets and the economy when it already has a whole lot on its plate. All right. Speaking of on your plate, Jim, uh, there's not many places you can go for better food for your plate than Moink. Look, if you love steak and if you love beef and that, they have chicken and pork as well, you and I have both gotten the Moink box. It's absolutely delicious. And uh, this is a great gift for someone in your family, especially if you get to partake of it. But if you're looking for something uh, to give uh, a loved one or a friend, uh, this is a great idea as well. Moink box with a fantastic deal and it's absolutely delicious. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you find prepackaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash martini to get a year of ground beef for free and then pick whatever meats you want delivered with your first box. 
change what you get each month, and cancel anytime. You and I have both gotten the Moink box. We love the steaks. They grill very well. It's got lamb. I'm Greek. What I mean, what more do you need? Uh, you've got the chicken, or the pork, the salmon. Great variety. Very, very tasty. Easy to prepare. Uh, comes to your door, uh, right on your doorstep. Nothing could be easier. Great for yourself. Great for a gift as well. Moink meat is delicious. I love it, and I know you will too. So join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash martini right now, and three Martini Lunch listeners get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. That's moinkbox.com slash martini. Again, ground beef for a year. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini now. And it's just been a very difficult stretch for the folks in southeastern Wisconsin. We finished taping our podcast on Friday before the verdict in the Rittenhouse trial came down. Uh, we had talked earlier in the week when we talked about the the threats aimed at the judge uh, that we thought that this was a pretty clear case of self-defense, obviously politically charged, but uh, I think we would agree that the jury came uh, to the right verdict. The hysterics on the left certainly have been predictable, if not disappointing. But now, of course, yesterday in Waukesha, Wisconsin, you have this horrific situation last night of the Christmas parade going on, and then this driver just barreling through people. And if you've seen any of the footage, it's absolutely chilling, just uh, just flying through there, running over people. And at last count, as we record today, five are dead, and I believe at least 40 are injured. Some of those include children. We haven't uh, uh, heard details on, on uh, who's among the deceased and who are among the injured here. But we do have a suspect in this case. His name is Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., This guy uh, is basically a Lifetime Achievement Award in crime. He's 39 years old. Uh, He's a registered sex offender in Nevada. He's got a very long rap sheet. In fact, he just had charges filed against him this month in November on the 5th, so just a couple of weeks ago, uh, for things such as resisting or obstructing an officer, bail jumping, second degree recklessly endangering safety, domestic abuse assessment, disorderly conduct, battery, and he got released on a $1,000 bond. There's a lot of talk today that uh, we got one of these uh, progressive prosecutors in Milwaukee County, and that's why this guy was still out yesterday. Uh, we're hearing different stories that he was you know, maybe fleeing a different crime scene, and he got to that point where the road was blocked off, and he just, just went through it anyway. Hopefully, we'll get more details on whether that's the case or not. But, Jim, obviously, the biggest story here is the horrific tragedy so many families are facing in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and... Uh, the other part is why this guy was free in the first place. You saw the news last night, horrifying. Rarely do you get something that bad caught on camera, um, in which you can just see, you know, one moment it looks like any town USA with the, the marching bands and this very jovial, happy scene. And then a moment later screams and just chaos. And, and you know, the thinking about the sheer number of people and sheer number of children who are amongst the dead and injured this morning. The first, so we, the first several thoughts, oh God, well, why, why, how could somebody do this? Why would this happen? And I don't know whether listeners were thinking the same way, but look, we've seen the Nice truck attack. We've seen a couple of attacks at Westminster in London, um, London Bridge. We've seen jihadists using this. And so you might first thought might be, oh my goodness, all right, is this a jihadist? Obviously, we just had this politically charged verdict in Wisconsin a couple of days earlier. You start wondering, oh, was this some left-wing maniac? Was this some right-wing maniac? The idea of seeing this person going down the parade route, it's very tough to believe that this was some sort of accident, that this was some sort of 
um, you know, unusual. The first explanation that came out this morning, we've gotten a bit more news about the suspect and we can have a slightly, you know, the, the long criminal history makes it somewhat less surprising someone would do this. But as of this morning, the word was from CBS News, a law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation says the suspect who drove to the Christmas parade in Waukesha was fleeing another scene, possibly a knife fight when he ran into and over some people. Now, Greg, I don't know about you, but the idea, the logic of I am afraid of a knife fight, thus I will drive into a crowd of people does not make a lot of sense to me. Most people are kind of like, well, if you're, if you want to get away from someone with a knife, well, once you're in your car, you should feel reasonably safe. You lock the doors and chances are they probably won't be able to, or you can drive away and you should be okay. The idea of driving directly into a crowd that, you know, it's, it's impossible to believe he didn't see the people. It's impossible to believe he didn't know he was running people over and he fled the scene. So the idea that this was some sort of panic reaction to some other event going on is very tough to believe. And again, it's very tough to believe that this was not a deliberate attempt to kill lots of innocent people. Now we're going to learn probably more about how and why and details like that. Um, utterly horrific. And it seems like something we had kind of probably left behind. We really hadn't thought about the idea of terrorism on, on the streets of any old, uh, a place that could remind you of your old hometown or something like that. This kind of uh, modest and unassuming. It's not a big city like New York City or LA or something like that. Um, utterly heartbreaking. And you kind of have this feeling that there's going to be this very intense appetite to turn this into a political narrative one way or the other. Look, the facts are going to be the facts. No one's ideology, no one's belief system is going to be strengthened or weakened by what this guy did. Clearly, this guy had just malice in his heart. And, you know, that's the most relevant fact about him. So more information to come, but uh, just an absolutely horrible thing for the country for the country to witness right before the Thanksgiving holiday. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And uh, as we were kind of discussing before we started here, if that explanation from that anonymous source is accurate, we'll probably see some sort of charge related to whatever that initial incident was. If we don't, uh, it's going to raise even more speculation. So we'll keep an eye on what he's actually charged with. Last I saw, there were not any actual official charges yet in this case, although I would assume those are coming pretty quickly. All right, Jim, let's talk about another great sponsor here while we have a chance, and that is Universal Coin and Bullion. We talked about the economy. We talked about inflation and many of the headaches that are going along with that in our first martini and why that's uh, affecting people's uh, political opinions right now. But uh, and in terms of your own bottom line, you're going to want ways to deal with this inflation uh, crunch. And that's because the dollar is going to be worth less. You're going to want to diversify that portfolio. This might be a great time to invest in silver or gold. And when you look at silver in particular, the price has increased 340% since 2000. So over more than two decades now, it's proven to be a great investment and that value keeps trending higher. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCD-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free, and you'll be dealing with the experts. In fact, the company's president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. He's also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. They're people you can trust. They also have rare gold coins, but the silver deal is only available using our code MARTINI. Call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800 800- 
UCB Gold. All right, Jim, following up once again on our story out of China, and that's the uh, disappearance of uh, Peng Shui, the once uh, number one doubles player in the world, had been not seen for a a couple of weeks after accusing a former high-ranking Chinese Communist Party official of raping her. Uh, They sent out this ridiculous email claiming that it was from her. Uh, Nobody bought it. You had the Women's Tennis Association CEO saying, we don't believe that. We have a hard time believing that. And look, unless we have answers on the fact that she's okay and that her allegations are being investigated seriously over there, we are prepared to pull our business out of China, even though it'll cost us hundreds of millions or perhaps even a billion dollars. So over the weekend, Peng Shui appears at this children's tennis event, poses for pictures, signs some things. So the uh, official explanation, of course, is that, look, she's fine. She was never under any duress. And so now uh, it sounds like the WTA still wants to talk to her more directly and get a really good feel on the situation. But Jim, you've been following this story as closely as anyone in the press. Uh, What's your take on what we know now? You know, the contrast between the World Tennis Association and the International Olympic Committee really could not be stronger. And uh, the, the fact that the International Olympic, first of all, it's the Chinese Olympic Association is the one that set up this phone call between uh, Peng Shui and the, the International Olympic Committee. They had their conversation for half an hour. I think the thing that just kind of just screams at me that this is coerced, that we this is not on the up and up, that this is not her genuine opinion, is that she's renouncing her accusation of sexual assault against the former Chinese vice premier. That seems odd. That seems really odd that she would say so on her social media accounts. Uh, notice that this the, the thing were taken down within a half hour. We don't know if it was taken down by her, whether it was taken down by uh, the social media company. Because of the way Chinese society operates, because we don't know whether her family is being threatened, we don't know whether she's being threatened, we don't know what, you know, it is good that we are seeing her in public again. We, you know, when we talked about this in the past on this podcast, we weren't sure if she was alive or dead. It now seems likely that she is alive. That's good. That's good news. Um, but if she is being forced to retract her accusation, Assuming it's a true accusation, but I don't think anyone is, anyone will dismiss it as oh, what a powerful Chinese official would never do something like that. You know, there's been no criminal investigation. There's been no uh, determination of these sorts of things, and we've heard this kind of a story lots of times before. Um, you know, our, our, th- there's a sense that this this looks like it's fitting a very familiar pattern of a politically powerful man has the ability to make his accuser either disappear or force her into retracting the accusation. If it was a false accusation, she's given no further explanation as to why she came out with this false explanation. And this all looks like a cover-up. And maybe she, in the back of her mind, knew that making this accusation right before the Olympics would be at a time of maximum pressure on the Chinese state to make things look good, that they did not want scandals coming to the, the public's eye. That said, it certainly looks like the Chinese government is winning this. It certainly looks like they've got leverage over her on this. I am glad to see the World Tennis Association is still, uh, you know, rejecting all this and saying we want to hear it from her directly. We don't believe this. We don't trust what we're hearing here. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if uh, how long the World Tennis Association is going to be able to maintain that stand, because certainly the International Olympic Committee, certainly the Olympic sponsors, certainly. I mean, I was great to see other tennis pros all tweeting and talking about this, but. I think there are a lot of people who'd like to see this story get swept under the rug. And I don't know whether you're going to see people continuing to make an issue of this. My sense is that this is a, uh, another, there'll be another outrage that will come and will go much like the crackdown on Hong Kong, much like the Uyghurs. The West has demonstrated its ability to live with a lot of Chinese crimes and to avert its eyes from them and pretend it doesn't see them. And 
not able to bring itself to really have any objections. I'll be surprised if this turns out to be a different story, Greg. I hope it's different, but I've learned to be cynical based on watching U.S. institutions and global institutions interacting with China, particularly over the last couple of years. Yeah, you make a very good point there because I think a lot of folks like us are like, okay, this is like peeling an onion. This isn't isolated. Obviously, we've got all these other grievances against China and their human rights record. So something like this should make you dig more, whereas a lot of people, I think, in the mainstream media are like, Oh, okay. She's in public. We can move on now. Uh, and so they just they just want to, you know, given all the business uh, interest that the parent companies of cable TV and others have, uh, it you know it, it makes it uh, very awkward for them to cover it. Although kudos to CNN here. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or or elsewhere, uh, Jim. Uh, John Berman and uh, Brianna Keeler were talking with their correspondent in Taiwan about this story, and then in the lower right hand corner they had uh, a live. Uh, simulcast of the CNN feed in China. And as soon as they threw it to the correspondent in Taiwan, it went to color bars. So, so uh, CNN, CNN knows what's going on. The question is how dedicated they'll be to, to staying on top of this. You know, and, and I will observe, having given some grief to other media publications, it is not easy to cover events in China. The Chinese government really has heavy handed about this. They really wanted to cut off your access and restriction and what you can broadcast out of there. And, you know, as, you know, as that vividly demonstrates, even if they let you broadcast back to your viewers at home, they don't want your reporting getting to their people. And we've seen similar you know, repression of social media and things like that. Um, I, you know, it, it's, so I, I understand CNN and other big media institutions have a tough job there. That having been said, they are really, really tough with, say, a Republican administration that they don't like. And I, 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 don't, I would expect nothing less when treating, say, a communist, authoritarian, br- brutal regime like China's or, or, or Russia's or anyone else's. I don't understand why they would make an exception for uh, what we're seeing in, uh, uh, in this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how things um, shake out there. But I'm, I'm you know, and I, I give, give CNN credit for trying in certain circumstances, but uh, uh, still a long ways to go, Greg. Indeed. Well, Jim, we'll do it again tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have more good news then. Have a good day. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Always very, very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific day, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Columbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, obviously the economy is pretty uncertain right now. Uh, Inflation concerns are front and center. So how can owning gold and silver coins really provide folks some peace of mind these days? Well, gold typically goes up in times when other investments go down. Experts call it a negative beta. And the World Gold Council has shown in studies that a portfolio that has 10 to 20 percent weighted in gold outperforms one that doesn't. So think of it as life insurance for the rest of your portfolio. And I predict gold will break $2,000 next year due to the increasing national debt, inflation, and the increased spending we're seeing happening with the infrastructure bills that passed and are hopeful 
to be passed by the Democrats. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.